Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. Okay, um, welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live. Um, this is a chance for all of us, whether you're Arroya customers, uh, Arroya curious, or just into growing and existing in this uh, uh, exciting industry to share stories and get all your burning cultivation questions answered. Each week, uh, we'll spend an hour sharing findings, talking you through some interesting features, having a lively conversation, and uh, learning more about what you're doing. And we want you to, um, to jump in and ask questions and uh, participate as well. That's what the, the office hours are about. So today's discussion we're going to be talking about drybacks, what works, what doesn't, and getting a handle on them and what they can do for your ROI. And as we're going along here, if you have questions, please do submit them in the chat and uh, we'll get to them. Um, and uh, uh, as we dive into the, the uh, subject of drybacks, we're just going to talk a little bit about what they are, why they're important. And uh, Jason has some um, some slides and information that he can that he's going to share on that as well. But um, the word dryback, as it's used and as we'll use it today, is just about um, it refers to a period of time when your plants aren't being watered when they're using water and when the water content you'll see um, drop. And it depends on what substrate you're using, but in Rockwell, this might be say from 65% uh, or you know high 60s water content in Rockwell all the way down to say 35%. That would be a, a big dryback of, of more than 30%. And um, what the dryback does and the reason why they are so important is that uh, is because of what they accomplish with poor water EC. Because um, as that plant is being uh, dried back and as, you know, as the plant uses water from the substrate and as it's not being replenished from the irrigation system, what you're getting is um, a gradual increase in the poor water EC, which, is a, um, uh, which produces a certain amount of water stress for the crop. And depending on the phase of growth that the crop is in, we would want to use um, longer drybacks, uh, achieving a higher poor water EC in generative phase, for example, or much shorter drybacks um, and uh, um, protecting the plant from any uh, stress during, say, a, a, a vegetative phase. So that's um, an overview of drybacks and what they are. When we talk about percent dryback, we're talking about as I said before, if you go from, say, a 55% water content to a 35% water content, that's we call that a 20% dryback that you achieve during that time. And typically, and we'll go through some of the, the questions, some specific questions on these, but typically what we're talking about when we're measuring the time of a dryback is we're timing it from that last point that you watered the plant all the way and up until the first watering of the next day. That's that's the uh, dryback duration. So we'll talk about dryback size and also uh, dryback duration, the size we refer to in percentage terms and the duration we're going to talk about at time. Um, so did I miss anything on that, Jason? I don't think so. It sounded great. <laughs> okay, I wasn't fishing, but uh, but thank you. Um, so um, the uh, uh, some of the subjects that um, that uh, we wanted to talk about today, we'll start with the, the first one of um, what is the benefit uh, and the purpose of dryback in uh, in cultivation as a whole? Uh, so it's exercising the plant. Uh, obviously, if we keep that plant at a, a field capacity or saturation point too long, the roots are going to get lazy on it. And so obviously as the transpiration rate is sucking water out of that substrate, we're going to go on a circadian uh, regular. So circadian being 24 hour cycle, and we're going to get that thing some irrigation every day, encourage some plant growth response when we do irrigate. And depending on the type of steering or the type of plant morphology that we're, we're pushing for, we can use that irrigation strategy 
to change the physiology. So when we talk about physiology, that's the plant's internal response to what we're doing to it. When we talk about morphology, that's the desired shape, size, uh, the outcome of how that plant is growing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, how, how do drybacks affect those things? So when we encourage a wider irrigation window, um, and so when I say irrigation window, I'm not talking about the total time of irrigation or the total amount of irrigation. I'm talking about uh, from first irrigation to last irrigation. It's just the inverse of dryback time. So if we've got 24 hours and we run a two-hour irrigation window, then we'd have 22 hours of dryback. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk about either of them. I usually talk about irrigation window because that's what we are changing. That's what we're doing to the plant. And the dryback is just going to be the time left over. So typically I'll talk about modifying that irrigation window. When we've got a wider irrigation window, it's going to encourage that plant to grow stalks, stems, leaves, any of that more vegetative type of material. That Mm -hmm. plant's going to usually stretch out. It's going to be the infrastructure for that plant to continue its growth. Now, when we encourage a little bit more generative steering, we'll shorten up that irrigation window. And I think one of our questions was talking about some of those timelines. We can jump into that right now. Yeah, let's want. do it. That's great. Um, and I'll just actually, um, so I can pull up some old data from the plants that I was growing at my house, uh, which might be useful here. Let's see. Um, but actually, why don't you dive into that one while I'm pulling up some some actual dryback data to, sh- to show people? So absolutely. Uh, so when I was talking about a wider irrigation window, maybe when we're doing some um, distinctly vegetative growth, some that that vegetative steering. We'll shoot for you know maybe six to ten hour irrigation window. This is going to really be dependent on a number of things. We're talking about substrate size, uh, drip rate, what type of strain that you're growing. So some strains are going to be naturally leaning on one side or the other of the spectrum. In which case, you really want to have a balanced growth system. That's going to get you the best results. So jumping back around uh, vegetative irrigation, typically an irrigation window from six to 10 hours when we're pushing for a more generative irrigation. So that generative is encouraging reproductive growth. That's getting our bud sites. That's um, getting nice node stacking in there and really encouraging that plant to produce flower. And those irrigation windows are going to be mostly in the range of maybe one to three hours for an irrigation window. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I didn't um, I didn't really understand that that well before I started to try to um, to achieve dryback with my plants is that um, that uh, basically what what you're doing to achieve this dryback is you're either uh, reducing the uh, like if you wanted to achieve a larger dryback, you would either reduce the um, the number of waterings or reduce the the um uh, you know the frequency or the the shot size of those of those waterings and then um the especially during the generative phase you want to get them into a, a small window a relatively tight you know say uh two hour you know two and a half hours get all your waterings done so that you can have a dry back over the rest of that time is that right absolutely yeah and you know when we talk about what generative is doing and and we can jump into some slides talking about p1 and p2 type irrigations as well but when we're talking about generative that's usually p1 irrigations and that's getting to saturation reasonably quickly Mm -hmm. um i like to see you know getting to saturation within you know an hour of that first irrigation if possible yep and we always recommend if possible to do a number of irrigations as well. So not necessarily one large shot to get there. You can get run through, um, you get run off without necessarily letting the capillary effect of the substrate catch up with the rate of irrigation. So, mm-hmm. you know, a good P1, you know, maybe you do three, four, five irrigations in a one hour irrigation window. Yep. Try to get up to that that saturation point or that field capacity would be the best scientific name for, for where we're hitting a point where that water's not going to hold anymore. Um, it's going to be turning into runoff yeah. at that point. Continue. Yeah, that the that point you just mentioned about um, uh, about multiple waterings um, that's really critical, and it is something that um, that 
you know, you're not going to achieve the uh, giving the plant the the water and nutrients that it needs in a single shot, um, unless you're using maybe a different type of medium that isn't uh, that isn't rock wool. But um, so it, it is important to to look at your irrigation shot size and frequency as the dial that you're turning to be able to to achieve what you want to in, in dryback. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's uh, let's see if I can get. Yeah. Okay. This is this is um, again when we use examples from my tent grow, um, they are the, the data quality are not the highest. So is that is it on two? Yeah. There we go. And on. Okay. Nice. So this is <laughs> this is an example of a line. Um, this is how my plants were watered in a, uh, this was in a vegetative phase of growth. And you can see that we started out here um, at 32% water content. We got all, all the way up to, wow, 38%. Um, this, was, this was not super awesome. But you can see multiple waterings throughout the, uh, the day from, from 10 a.m. all the way until the evening, you know, say like, uh, uh, looks like five o'clock. Uh, then I stopped. And one thing to note uh, in Arroyo, this is a really basic function. If you want to um, save the dryback that you were able to achieve in any given day, you click on this uh, button right here and you click dryback. And if I was going to measure my dryback, I'd say, well, my last irrigation was right here. And this was when I started irrigating the next day. And that's my dryback. So we have a calculated dryback of 5.3%. Again, not uh, not super awesome, but I can go ahead and log that dryback, and it's it's saved in the uh, in the journal. Um, so um, Jason, do you want to pull up those slides on the the P one, P two, um, uh, P three, and and share those? I can Absolutely. jump out of this. Absolutely. I also did want to share uh, while you were doing that that <laughs> okay. logging the dryback. You're all right. Yeah. Okay, right. It uh, it saves as an annotation down there in the bottom, and we can also uh, do a manual reading. Uh, so that's that dryback number is a manual reading. And if you do dryback calculations on a daily basis or maybe every two or three days, you can chart that using your manual oh, values. Just, just click a, just, oh, okay. I see. So, and um, it's going to automatically be a manual value based on calculation. Oh, okay. I see. So you could just put it in by clicking here and also just manually entering it. Uh, I believe that you might be able to. I'm not. I'm not sure why <laughs> you do that. Since there's this a tool. is real time uh, dryback. Yeah. So you could you could note your dryback here, even though this is not correct. Ten percent. Um, I'm in my zone here. Uh, date and time comments record when reading. So yeah, you can do it manually if you want to. Actually, we did have a question on that. Can drybacks be calculated without a sensor? Sure. It's going to be much more labor intensive. Um, and, and I'm also going to talk about when you do log a dryback, you're only looking at one zone here, but when you log a dryback in array, it's going to do it um, by those zone averages. So okay. if you've got eight zones in a, a room, it's going to do eight manual readings of those drybacks. You kind of see you know, a nice, clean representation of that. Uh, calculating drybacks without a sensor. Uh, I guess it depends what a sensor is. Uh, if a scale yeah, is not exactly. a sensor yeah. or if a, a handheld <laughs> reading is not a sensor, yeah. then uh, you might be able to. Obviously, yeah. you'd need to go in and weigh the plants at, at last irrigation and then go weigh it uh, yes. initial irrigation and, and do some water content calculations based on uh, the dry media weight and the weight of the water that was dispersed from transpiration and evaporation yep. during that time frame. But, uh, you know, when we... Think about that on scale. Effectively, I guess the answer would be no. Well, yes, I I agree that if we're talking about no sensor, um, uh, but but that that would have been my only um, my only suggestion. If you don't have a sensor, you could you could get a kitchen scale out and you know and actually weigh the the individual plants and and understand how much they're they're drying back. Um, th the other thing about this graph is you can see that the the rate at which the plant is using water is uh, a lot higher when the lights are on, obviously, than when the lights are off. So these are two different relatively constant rates of, uh, of water use throughout the, um, uh, throughout the uh, you know, plant growth process and the irrigation uh, and the uh, area where we're not doing irrigation. So, and you can see that that, 
that rate at which the, the um, plant is using water returns to um, that higher level once the lights come back on the next day. There's uh, a couple of contributing factors, and I already mentioned mm-hmm. evaporation and transpiration. Um, those are really the two places that your water content is going. Obviously, um, ignoring runoff, because we're not going to necessarily see runoff in the water content on uh, the sensors. Uh, you're going to have evaporation and transpiration during the daytime. Uh, the transpiration is going to be much higher when we've got light hitting those plants with a bunch of pho- uh, photosynthesis being active. And your evaporation is probably going to be slightly higher as well, maybe just due to some uh, radiation from those lights. Obviously, that inflection point when the lights turn off, we can see a change in slope, which is actually a very good thing because that's indicating that our plants are transpiring significantly. So a bigger, bigger change in that slope at that inflection point is going to really tell us that that plant is pulling hard. Yeah. Because you're going to have evaporation overnight, and that's why we do see some amount of dryback overnight. And your plants probably are going to do some transpiration when the lights are on as well. Sure, sure. Well, and uh, another interesting thing that that really was clear when I started to grow the plants was that the plant's capability of pulling water out of the substrate is very small when the plants are really small. You know, when your plants are are a foot tall or a foot and a half tall, they really don't have a root structure. They don't have a, you know, their, their uh, leaves and things aren't, aren't, uh, their leaves aren't well developed and you're really not transpiring that much. It's not doing that much work. And even if you want to achieve a big dryback to uh, stress the plant, um, it's probably not possible because the root structure isn't there to pull all that uh, water out of the substrate and actually use it. That's exactly right. And that, that falls into another question that we had and that was talking about uh, ideal drybacks during different stages of the growth cycle. And this is one of the reasons that we absolutely encourage and love using recipes, using that uh, those different phases in your grow, in your harvest group, it's because we want to know what are we trying to achieve during that time frame. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we know when those plants are really small, maybe we just transplanted, we're not going to necessarily see the types of drybacks that we will later. Uh, we're going to be shooting for just trying to get that root zone going mm-hmm. and get those roots into the new media so that it can tap into the entire volume of that substrate. Okay. And that's the root in phase. That's right before, that's when you're flipping the plants. Let's say that you're you're putting a cocoa bag on a cocoa bag or you're putting a four by four block onto a slab of, uh, of rock wool. Um, the, that, that's getting the root develop, uh, development that you want. And that's a period of what, uh, four or five days. Is that typical for root in or? Yeah, probably three to five days. Okay. Okay. So, um, so there's the root in period. And then right after that, plants are still really small. Um, my, my guess um, would be that what we're really looking for is, uh, is uh, you mentioned the word recipe. We're looking for a, a, uh, a time frame of a couple of hours, get all the waterings in. We're really targeting the dryback duration more than we are the size because we're not going to achieve that much with really small plants right at the beginning of, of flowers. Is that right? That, that is exactly right. Um, and, and after rooting in, you know, you know, you might go a few days to let that slab get down to a lower water content so you can build a regular irrigation schedule for it the next coming days. it's I don't like to get into the specifics of exactly how long you might want to run that uh, initial alternative stacking because it is very, very strain dependent. Right. You, know, right. you could talk about anywhere from you know, one week to four or five weeks, depending on what uh, what type of genetics you're working with. Okay. And that's a... It's a critical and a little bit of a challenging time because obviously it is labor intensive to keep an eye on daily drybacks and modify irrigation parameters based on what you saw yesterday. And so a lot of times, you know, you'll start to see those drybacks get gradually more and more Mm -hmm. every day that you're hitting that. And at some point you may need to up your irrigation schedule to keep up with the new growth, those that root area that's Mm -hmm. pulling water. And then obviously when we look at transpiration, that's talking about surface area of the leaves. So transpiration happens from those stomates being open, mm-hmm. having water vapor leave the plant. So the more surface area we have, the more pores, the more stomates that uh, are pulling water from the substrate. Yep. Yep. 
Um, did you want to show that slide on P1, P2, P3 um, to just, because um, we, we do talk about that sometimes um, and just to, to give a visual of what we're talking about there. Sure. Uh, should I just share it in this Google Meet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go right here. We can just kind of run through these slides so that it's got context to what we're talking about as well. Here's a little bit of that, um, you know, an example. And I do stress, you know, example when I talk <laughs> yeah. about this because it uh, it's going to be dependent on genetics, depending on the goals of the facility, etc. So, you know, just thinking about, okay, this is really flipping that stuff around a little bit to get the best growth out of the plant. Um, this slide is showing an example of some water content and the left side over here we're talking about a p1 type irrigation and these irrigations can be uh, closer together in time spacing or they can be a little bit larger um, size shots and the goal there is to be getting to that field capacity fairly quickly so we are looking at uh, more vegetative growth in this slide and we can see we've got P1s, we're getting up to that saturation point right here. Could be anywhere from 45 for cocoa. Cocos are a little bit, they're dependent on the pith size, um, you know, how much that uh, cocoa is chunked up, how, how, how loose it is, et cetera. And then up until probably about 65 or 70%, be a little bit more for rock wool. And that's the fairly consistent field capacity we like to see out of those sensors. Uh, so yeah, that P1, those shots are obviously working to get to saturation. And then the P2 shots are trying to maintain saturation or field capacity for the duration of the irrigation window. And I really don't talk much about P3 irrigations because that's just, there's no irrigation there. P3 is just your dry back. It's, it's not necessarily something you're doing to the plant. Um, your P3 is going to be a side effect of how well you achieved your desired P1 and P2 irrigation. Sure. Mm -hmm. And this slide's just showing a little bit of some of the recommended timeframes before irrigation and uh, after your last irrigation. I think we might have had one question about this. Maybe not. Uh, oh, yeah. Start and finish. When do you start and finish dry back? Okay. So typically, we like to see irrigations in between. This says zero and one hours. We could say zero and two hours after lights off to be to be a little bit more realistic of um, what what facilities can achieve mm -hmm. realistically, and then um, same kind of thing. You know, after irrigation, you don't want to irrigate all the way up to lights off. That can uh, lead to some extra humidity in the room, a little bit of root stagnation, possible um, pythium or other types of diseases in the plant. So. Yep. Typically, you'll want to stop irrigating, even if you've got a wide vegetative irrigation window, zero to two, zero to three, zero to four, depending on how wide your irrigation window is. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just showing, pointing out, okay, each of these is oftentimes an irrigation. Uh, depending on how, the, how many shots you are giving, sometimes you'll not necessarily see a defined peak from that sensor data. And that has to do with a couple things. One could just be the capillary effect of the substrate um, buffering each of those events. Uh, this is just showing, okay, here's dry back over here, dry back calculation and saturation minus the um, starting point. So here's your dry back duration. In this case, it's 15 hours. And we can see that vertical difference is going to be the dry back percentage, and the horizontal is going to be that dry back duration that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This next slide is showing uh, generative steering irrigation. In this case, we can see we've pretty much ignored any P2 type of irrigations. We're doing some P1 irrigations to get up to that field capacity and letting that dry back window be much, much wider. Anything I missed? Um, well, I think... Uh, I mean, one interesting thing in looking at this um, at this slide is that um, you know if we were to plot the EC on top of this, we would see 
pretty much in most cases that the EC is going to increase for that entire duration of the um, of the dryback. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I might have some data here that reflects what we're seeing there as well. Let's jump in just to zoom in here. Jason, while you cat while you uh, gather that data, I just want to remind everybody on the call today. We're so happy that you're here, and we want to answer all of your questions. So our topic is drybacks today. Please feel free to enter any questions you have in the chat, and uh, we would love to address them during this presentation. Back to you, Jason. Thanks. This is some real life data. Uh, this is one of our uh, development partners down the road here in Pullman, Washington. They're doing a great job and have uh, allowed us to use their data for examples. And also, uh, we collaborate with them testing new equipment at their facilities. So we really appreciate that uh, opportunity to work with them. In this case, we're looking at uh, a fairly moderate type of uh, irrigation strategy. This is fairly well balanced. And I can also zoom in here to show what Scott was talking about specifically with uh, rise in EC when we see that water content drop. So uh, zooming in here, we can see, all right, we're hitting some field capacity fairly quickly. That would be your P1 event right there. And then a good number of P2s right here. A little bit of dry back, lights off. We can see that change in, uh, in water content loss of that substrate. And we can also see that EC rising up. So obviously that irrigation, when it happens, it's going to push the EC down in the block. It's going to basically refresh the nutrients in there. A lot of times that's going to drop closer to your irrigation um, feed concentration. So sometimes we do typically see that, uh, that nominal number down here. A um, couple points, maybe one, two, three points higher than your actual feed of the EC or the feed of the nutrients. It's just going to depend on your media, your nutrient type. Um, how you've been steering those plants um, up to that point as well. But so we'll see that uh, distinctive drop. That substrate is getting refreshed with new balanced nutrients closer to our feed EC. And after as irrigation stop, we see that EC rise fairly quickly while uh, transpiration is pulling water from the substrate reasonably fast. And then obviously overnight it uh, it tapers off, but it still rises while that water content drops. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why the EC goes up is because the plant is pulling water and some nutrients, but not as much nutrients, and the and the uh, you know those the the salts become more concentrated in the substrate. Is that right? Correct. Um, so that that's the scientific reason why this works, and uh, and I should say, you know. As we're talking about dryback, the reason, you know, people talk about in the industry a lot, dryback, dryback, dryback. And um, the reason we do drybacks isn't so that we can remove the water. It's so that we can achieve a particular poor water EC that we're going for that sends the signals, uh, the signal to the plant, especially generatively, which is, okay, there's some stress now. I need to focus on reproduction, which is partitioning its, its energy toward uh, uh, bud sites or flower. Um, and uh, when we send those signals, if we do it in the right way, we can get higher yields. Is that, I mean, did I, uh, I mean, is, uh, is that the right way to explain it? Like what we're trying to achieve is the, is the stress, the dryback is how we do it. Um, but what, what the plant's feeling is this poor water EC. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part, that is right. And, and maybe I'll deep dive and hopefully not get too scientific with, uh, with this real quick Please, but yeah. uh so when we look at and i talked about matrix potential a little bit last week and uh i think we're going to be posting some great videos that your dad did mm -hmm. uh, about matrix potential in, in different types of uh, hydroponic substrates but that's what matrix potential being how, how how much does that root zone i mean how much pressure or vacuum would be it's a negative pressure so how much vacuum do the roots have to apply to the substrate in order to pull water from that substrate. Yep. When we look at rock wool, for example, it's got a pretty, what we would call a high matrix potential. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, you know, you may only be seeing, I don't know, negative 20 to negative 100 KPA. Yeah. And 
that means that these plants, even when we do get pretty low in water content and rock wool, they're not necessarily having to pull extremely hard. They're not, right. They may not be feeling an irrigation deficit yep. that uh, is applied in traditional agriculture or horticulture techniques. Yeah. And, like, like grapes, for example, right? Correct. Like if we want to stress grapes, and, and, they, and people do this all over the world, it's basically uh, reducing irrigation so that the matrix potential of the soil um, stresses those grapes. In cannabis, we're not doing that because there's plenty of water there, uh, it, but we're stressing them with, with the, the salt, with the nutrients. Is that right? Yes, uh, absolutely. And so what, uh, you know, what we talk about is osmotic potential, um, osmotic effect. It happens in tons of biological applications. It's happening in you right now. It happens in me. I just drank some water and my cells are, are absorbing it. And when we look at a plant, that osmotic potential is going to be the differential in salt concentration within the cell versus the salt concentration within the substrate. Mm -hmm. And a larger osmotic differential is going to increase the pressure. So the cells are going to try and swell mm -hmm. quicker based on the, the water intake. Um, obviously, when we let the EC rise, we're decreasing that osmotic potential and therefore trying to encourage the right type of uh, morphology based on that physiological response on potential. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think of it as like, um, if you, if you have a, um, let's say a, um, uh, you know, the water as it comes into the to block. So the drippers put the water into the block that the plant is growing in. And there has to be a differential, osmotic differential between that, that block and the roots. And then there has to be an osmotic different differential between the roots and the stem. And then there has to be a differential between the stem and the leaves. And then there has to be a differential between the atmosphere and the, the stomates, right? And the water has to make its way all the way through that, that process. And like if we talk about VPD, for example, that's you know, there has to be the right differential for the, the plants to, to transpire. They, you know, there has to be some type of energy moving water and, and you know, by, by um, uh, default nutrients through that process as well. So it's just kind of a, a cycle. Um, and drybacks are, are part of that. Um, so we reduce the water and concentrate the nutrients, but the stress that the plant feels is through um, the, the concentration of the nutrients. So um, let's, let's uh, get to um, one of these questions. If, if you're saying, well, I've never done this before, what's a way to start using drybacks to help uh, increase my yields? Where is a place to start? A good place to start is running a control harvest group. Mm -hmm. So having some reference of your data before you make changes is the absolute best way to begin crop steering and you might say well you're not crop steering but you have to have a great understanding of what we are doing to those plants you know how did this harvest group run without necessarily making any changes and that's going to give you a wonderful baseline so when you do start tweaking when you do start to crop steer you can make moderate you know, some mild adjustments to to get to that and the the best way and then the reason that the control is a great spot too because i run into a lot of clients that you know maybe they have traditionally done hand watering where they've got um, yeah. one large irrigation in the morning for yep. those plants um then we've also run into you know lots of clients that may just uh do you know a vegetative drip irrigation through the entire harvest group right uh, and so the way that you can start is building up a good recipe um and I, I did want to mention, so uh, we've got a, a cultivation quick start guide available for any of the subscribers of the Roy system. It's down in our resource center. Bottom left, there's a question mark. And it's going to cover Excellent. a lot of the topics that we're talking about here today. Let me just pull that up real quick. So it's on here. It's, uh, is it in this resources? It is. Okay, so go here. Cultivation quick start, right? Absolutely. Okay, so we go on here. And yeah, there we go. Okay, so talking about the phases of growth, different 
definitions of things. Here's the plants. Um, it is going to talk about um, the steering, uh, crop steering, water and irrigation, the different substrates. So yeah, I, I agree. I've, I use this, um, you know, I've read through this a number of times, but it's funny because when I started out um, trying to grow plants in this small tent, I had really basic problems like how to get them to actually be watered, like making making the the timer work, you know, and lots of lots of simple problems that are very frustrating nonetheless. And so I keep on having to go back and read this again because once I figured out some things, then other pieces other pieces of this document start to make more sense. Um, so um, yeah, here's here's the document that you're referring to. Yeah, so this is a great place to start, and I think it does start from the beginning. Uh, I'm glad that you you talked about getting other variables in line so obviously having a you know a, a good operating facility is going to be the best place to begin crop steering and that's also why we we always love to have some control data is because it uh, it can highlight maybe some areas that uh, could be improved before crop steering is employed mm -hmm. um, it's like if i'm driving down with some really loose ball joints i might have a hard time steering down the highway because because uh, that rack and pinion or my, my ball joints are loose it's gonna be wobbling around so if i get those tightened up i'm gonna have a lot better success when i do start to be serious about crop steering yep and the environment is uh i think a little bit overlooked sometimes uh, when we do get so excited about having root zone data um, and shooting for crop steering making sure that light intensity is going to help us produce the transpiration rates we need for the appropriate drybacks to steer absolutely critical uh, having your temperature and humidity balanced to get the vpd that allows for the most stomatal conductance as possible that's going to get those transpiration rates where you need yep yep and that's in the in the uh generative phase and i mean so correct me if i'm wrong but but the reason i keep on talking about like you flip the the plants into flower in this early generative phase is is i often uh heard it referred to as this critical time you really need to make sure that you're doing things properly and you you set yourself up yourself up for success by nailing um the the uh generative steering in that in those you know you said it could be anywhere from one to five weeks depending on the on the strain um but uh during that phase what what um and in implementing drybacks in that phase, you say something like the VPD is also important. Um, so, what what VPD ranges are we looking for in that in that generative phase? Typically, usually we'll be shooting for about one point two. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. you might when you start the harvest group, yeah, being around one oh, you know, during that root in session and climbing up to say one point two for your your first generative that stacking session. Sure, sure. So. I do totally agree with you about getting that control, um, uh, uh, getting getting that that harvest group where you use it as a control. Like, hey, and let's say it's just a, a client who's always been steering vegetatively. Even I mean, they might not even call it that, but they're you know they're just doing lots of waterings throughout the day, keeping the plants super happy all the time. And there are even some strains. I think was it Mac One you said likes to to be steered vegetatively, like it's just kind of a weird strain that way. Great example. Yeah, you know it's a stubby chunky plant anyways it's not necessarily prone to uh, a lot of the stretching that's going to get the infrastructure it needs to yield well without uh, doing too much generative steering yeah yeah now so an example like that you might have a, a client who's going mac one running it vegetatively the whole time and then just introduces a little bit of um of say generative cues in that in that early flower phase and might see an improvement but maybe not as some but as much as somebody who would be like I don't know, um, an OG Kush or, or something, a different type of... Blue Dream is probably the, the other end of the spectrum that I like <laughs> to use. So Blue Dream likes it. It likes that generative uh, cues. It's a tall, stretchy, sativa type of plant. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so that, that's one way to get started is, is put that baseline down and then um, look uh, and then make a change to one thing. Like, like say, okay, well, during these first three weeks, uh, of flower, we're going to get all our waterings done within two hours and shoot for a dry back like 
uh, you know, say uh, 20 to 30% and watch our ECs during that time and then watch the plants as well. Is that is that a good starting point? That is a good starting point, yeah. Uh, and one of the things I did forget to mention when I was talking about um, before we crop steering is also making sure that our substrate size is appropriate. Ah, yes, yes. Okay, we did talk about this before. This just d- does not get enough play is um and we i showed you i think i showed you like an outdoor thing where they have you know they're growing in like 20 gallon pots or something like that you know are you going to get a dry back in a 20 gallon pot no not not really so um what in and cocoa and, and rock will do behave differently we see cocoa typically as being more forgiving we see rock will as being more um more responsive is that um i mean so so with be, between those two substrates how um uh, you know how would you look at size if you're growing in cocoa for example i mean what what might be a reasonable size uh, uh of um you know a volume of substrate to be able to achieve a, a dry back in 22 hours yeah i, I mean my favorite is at uh, you know one and a half to two gallons of, of substrate per mm-hmm. plant that's going to give you enough capacity enough reservoir in there to steer generatively without running into really low water contents um that matrix potential curve is a little bit different for cocoa mm-hmm. so we can't get quite quite as dry um before that plant might feel some actual irrigation deficit stress. right right some water stress as opposed to to osmotic stress exactly and uh you know the goal is not necessarily to actually stress the plant. We just want to to make it think that it uh, needs to change its physiology. Yeah. I like I like uh, I heard uh, Bruce Bugby, our um, our friend at um, at Apogee in Utah State. He once told me, you know, human it, plants are like humans. They operate best under a little bit of stress. You know, it's like, well, you know, you're ambitious. You want to achieve. You got a little bit of stress. That's how plants do as well. Too much stress and they, they break down just like us. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when we think about crop steering, let's say we've, we're growing some really big plants and we've got a, maybe a six by six by four uh, rock wool cube for our substrate. We're going we're gonna to really struggle to steer that thing generatively because the plant transpiration rates are going to exceed the capacity of that block. And yep. the thing's going to run into you know 10 percent, maybe lower if it's a really happy plant and there's uh well if the plant is happy and it's going to pull a lot of water it's transpiring a lot and you're going to run out of uh, your reservoir yep. out of water out of fertigated solution in that substrate so um you know obviously having that volume appropriate for the size of plants that you're growing is is what's going to allow you to steer one way or the other so if you're running in a, a six by six by four, for example, you might have to always be with a 10, maybe even a 12 hour irrigation schedule just to, to keep those plants out of the danger zone of low water content. Yeah, no, that, that's really well said. And, you know, I've seen people with tiny substrates and, you know, it, it used to be kind of popular a few years ago to be to be like in a six by six by four for each plant. Um, it's more common for the pl- the places I go to see too much substrate, you know, that, that people are using like three gallons of cocoa or something like that. And you're really not going to get much, uh, enough dryback. Um, a shout out here to, uh, Gonzalo at, uh, Grizzly Peak. We went to, to meet with him. I was really impressed by, uh, the work he's, he, uh, uh, is doing there. And he actually took some of the, uh, data traces that people had posted on social media uh, that he thought were, was doing a good job of crop steering. And he put that picture on his wall and he said, well, I want to make my drybacks look like this. And, uh, and he figured out that the way to do that was to use a smaller substrate than he was. He was in two gallons of cocoa and he just, just decided to do less. And it's going to be different for everybody, your facility and the way that it's run and um, the you know, the, uh, uh, the irrigation system that you have, uh, particularly, I mean, some people struggle with getting drybacks because they don't, they don't have a precision irrigation system and they're doing, um, ebb and flow or, you know, other, 
irrigation approaches that aren't just Netafim um, emitters in uh, in uh, in each plant. But um, I, I was just really impressed that that he just through looking at the data traces and the pictures of how somebody was doing a dryback, he figured out I need less substrate. Very cool. That's very cool. And for anyone who's on the call today, we love to hear from, you know, we love to hear success stories. We love to hear what's working and what isn't. Actually, Billy just posted a comment here, a question, and sorry, just lost it here. Billy wants to know, are there any targets for nighttime dryback in vegetative phase? Sure. And I'm just going to jump in here and take a look at uh, our cultivation resources so that I stay consistent with exactly what we have published. Hmm. And then, I, I, sorry to sidetrack, but there was one thing that was hitting my mind while you were talking there, Scott. And uh, It's also very important to have really healthy plants coming out of edge. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this conversation right now has been about the flower period. Um, it is critical to have fast-growing plants during vet. Um, that veg, you know, obviously being eighteen six light cycle, you need to start getting a lot of light to those plants, and then make sure you match your DLI going into flowers so that uh, they get the same amount of energy, even though it's a shorter window. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, after Billy's question here, I want to, um, you know, you talked about that difference one week to five weeks or or whatever. Um, I want to talk a little bit about plant height and and that as well. So so let's. Uh, I'll, let's do that after we we get to your resource here yeah billy so uh during vegetative we'll typically talk about drybacks for um, rock wool and this is assuming the appropriate sized media because obviously your media size is going to change how much volume this percentage equals right so a dryback percentage in volume is going to be that percentage times the volume of the substrate so i'm in a one gallon and i uh, have a dryback of 10%, we're going to see 0.1 gallons of water that has uh, evaporated and transpired from that substrate. So for, you know, vegetative steering, typically in something like rock wool, we'll talk about 10, 15%. Um, you know, if you've got a really large plant, sometimes it'll be uh, a little bit more. Um, and that's assuming that appropriately sized substrate. In cocoa, um, anywhere from 5 to 15% would be a, a more typical vegetative dryback. And those, these aren't exact numbers. There's just something to work off of. So there's a lot of variables that can play in here. I just wanted to share a comment from Eddie. Uh, Eddie posted here, I found with my veg timeline of 12 to 14 days that three and a half to five liters of substrate is best to achieve 20% plus drybacks for generative uh, signals. Eddie, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, if anyone else out there has any thoughts uh, as well for what's working for them, we'd love to hear it. Please post it in the chat. And Eddie, is that is that uh, rock wool then? That's across uh, rock wool and cocoa. Okay, I mean it, it, uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I do because you know because I I've seen people in the industry that are finding like two gallons is a little bit too much, um, which would be you know yeah. roughly eight liters. Um, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, when I'm running uh, those veg timelines of two weeks. Um, typically won't see a 20% dryback until the plants, uh, in like five, six weeks of flower. And usually during that time, depending upon the cultivar, I'll want to be having a vegetative dryback for bulking. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. That's, uh, that's really useful. Great. I have another question here from one of our fans on Instagram. Um, they want to know how much should my media dry out in between waterings? Oh, that's a great question. And I would put a lot less emphasis on those, um, those intermediate dry downs than I would the total amount of dry back from last irrigation to first irrigation. And um, a little bit can happen here. So depending on your irrigation Scheduling capacity, you know, maybe if you're working with a, a lower grade controller, you may not be able to irrigate as many times as you'd want to during that P2. Um, but uh, with with an appropriate size substrate between irrigations um, during vegetative, we'd talk about maybe two to five percent 
um, between irrigations and for generative um, up to 5%. Uh, but when you are running generative, you know, typically that's just P1 irrigations. So your, your goal is to just get to field capacity reasonably quickly. And uh, so you may not see those dry downs in between your irrigations for generative. But for, uh, for vegetative P2, when you're running those uh, maintenance irrigations, you know, maybe six, maybe 12 irrigations after you've got to capacity, then uh, two to five percent is probably a good reasonable range. Yeah, and another, um, so, and before I forget, we um, were talking about the plant height thing. Um, so it, for those plants um, that are in that early phase, um, it, and you talked about doing control as well, so that's what piqued my, piqued my interest. If you're doing a control, is a good idea to do a really good job of using Arroyo to note the plant height and the uh, node, the internodal spacing of your control group so that you can compare it once you start trying to, to um, crop steer your uh, cultivar more aggressively? Absolutely. Uh, and exactly like you said, you know, you know, the next steps after you have implemented some types of crop steering is to begin refining what your recipes look like um, so you can get that repeatability and continuous improvement based on the observations you're taking. When it comes to Plant height, I absolutely encourage it. And this is and, know, and just, how often, Jason? Um, <laughs> how often do you have a chance to go in there and do it? it every two, <laughs> every, day. every two or three days. During, okay, yeah. So, um, which you could just you could just load that up as a task in the recipe, for example. It's just taking a plant height. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know the the real critical time there is when we're when we're looking at that first um, generative stacking phase. Okay. So, uh, you know, a, a little bit before that and a little bit after that, we want crop registration information like plant height. And what's going to happen is effective generative steering is going to reduce the stretching of that plant. And it's also going to give you an idea of what um, time frame, what plant height that you are going to expect to change steering strategies in the future. Okay. So um, internodal, let's see, node spacing is how it's, it's done here. I don't know what's, a, what's typical node spacing. One and a half inches, two okay. inches. Yeah, 1.5 here on node spacing. So I was just showing um, people how you can go in, in the, and very easily note these things. Probably the hardest thing is just remembering to do it and, and making sure that, that, that your, um, that your uh, grow techs actually take the time to put it into the, to the notes. But then when it, once it is in the notes, and I can go here, let's hope this actually works. Um, Oh, actually, this is the wrong one. So we'll go uh, to here. I go into my um, groups, my harvest groups. Here's my first batch. I would, I will actually say, I I harvested my plants the other day. It was uh, awesome. But um, let's see, analytics. So if I go down here, and uh, I <laughs> I didn't take nearly enough plant heights, but I did take a few, and you can see that they're noted here in the analytics of the of the harvest group. And the, the slowdown in the increase in plant height. So once those plants start leveling off, what's that? A, I mean, why is that significant? Uh, it's usually a great time to consider going to more vegetative bulking type of strategy. Yeah. Um, so you know, really what, what we've done there is curbed some of the stretching. That's indicating that um, you know, that plant has, uh, has got enough infrastructure from earlier on um, that, uh, that we can switch back. Uh, that bulk or that uh, stacking phase excuse me is really setting the stage for you know the, the amount the quantity and the quality of those plants going in. so mm -hmm. once uh once that real vertical shooting has stopped we can uh we can start thinking about doing uh, some more vegetative steering yep well and one one other thing i wanted to say and you mentioned this earlier is like you go in, you look at your drybacks on a, on a particular day, and you decide, oh, I, I want to actually um, to achieve a little bit more dryback, um, and and then you adjust your controls, and and that typically involves then going to a different system, whatever your irrigation system is, and changing those settings, either the 
the number or the um, the spacing or the size of the the shots that are being given to plants. And I I do I do think this is a critical point, which is that um, that the system that's doing the controls, um, you know, controls are about telling you what happened or what is going to happen. Um, controls isn't about telling you what should happen, um, and that's what your uh, role as a as a grower is is to to figure that out to use the the data and analytics to say this is what should be happening here are the changes I need to make to to my controls in order to achieve that um, so let's say you were in that situation as a grower and you wanted to tweak to achieve a little bit more dryback what what, what do you do what what how would you achieve that uh you Either you know, you'd probably shorten up your irrigation window. Mm-hmm. So you could either decrease the time between shots, or you could just you know drop off a shot two, three, depending on how how you want to go. And mm-hmm. and I think typically, and we in our quick start guide we talk about um, you know as opposed to vegetatively the shot size we you know we recommend using a bigger shot size um, during that that small window. We're trying to get all the the watering up done and get to field capacity and then stop is that right yeah absolutely so you know if we saw say a you know 25 percent dryback um overnight you know that that dryback that we talk about uh, maybe it was 22 hours and we saw a 25 percent decrease uh if we're trying to get that 25 percent replenished within an hour maybe we've got five five percent shots yeah yeah well and so th- that's my only point about controls is that controls doesn't necessarily equal control. You know, the, the things that the, that that system is doing is helping you to execute because it makes it possible to do all these waterings automatically without having to go do them manually. And that's great. But each day the plants are growing, you know, each day the, that the environment is changing. Um, you know, maybe your, your crew goes through and does all the, the uh, you know plant pruning and that changes how the plants are gonna are gonna act um, because um, they don't have as much surface area as they used to. So, um, so that's that's the challenge as a grower is to use the the control system, whatever that is, and use the analytics that that uh, we're providing through the the uh, production platform um, to be able to do that really difficult job of just nailing it when it comes to uh to each batch that you're growing that's why annotations are so so very important in here because it starts to characterize you get that metadata into the dynamics of the room you know if we've got some delete parameters in there and we see that uh you know our humidity in the room has dropped because we don't have quite as much then uh you know, it's a good time to, to keep in mind for, for next round. Do we need to also have a, a little bit of an HVAC check or a, yeah. an HVAC modification um, as well as yeah. those other tasks? That so your BPD doesn't go up. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. Hey, Scott and Jason, the last couple of minutes here, Billy wants to know if we can touch on generative dryback and ripening. Sure. Uh, yeah, so, you know, ripening is probably one of the more controversial phases in here. I, I have clients that uh, are pretty successful um, employing significant generative uh, during that ripening and, and some people that don't necessarily push it quite as much. And uh, so as far as drybacks go for, for ripening, you know, you're going to be looking at a similar to, to that stacking phase. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll see a little bit of a decrease in um, nutrient concentration during that time frame but uh but you got to be a little bit careful with that and that 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 final ripening is going to be extremely uh genetic dependent so some uh some types of plants we had a, a pineapple that uh it really liked to foxtail we get lots of white hairs yeah. out towards the end and, yeah. and ripening will help combat any of that get you a, a nice amber trichome um, get your plant to to bulk it out as much as possible before it's uh, time to cut. Yeah, and the, the swings that you'll see on your graphs in, in Arroyo will be huge during that uh, phase, as opposed to the early flower when you're not, you know, the plants aren't even really that big. So you'll see more, 
you um, I mean, what I've seen is is higher differentials in EC when you're running generative in that ripening phase. Is that is that right? Yep. More more dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we're at about the end of this week's office hours. Thank you all so much for attending and for submitting your questions. Uh, we do this every week. This is your time. Any questions you have about Arroya, how it can be used to improve your cultivation process, any topics you'd like us covering us to cover in the future office hours, please let us know in the chat or shoot, shoot us an email at support.arroya at metergroup.com or feel free to DM us on Instagram because we really want to hear from you. Just to let you all know, we record every session. We're going to email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It's also going to live on the Arroya YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, feel free to share the video with anyone else who may find this information used to, useful. Uh, thank you all again so much for coming. Thank you, Scott and Jason. And we'll look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks, Kisha. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.